Hello and welcome to Ditch Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, Jane DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, share, subscribe, push that button. My guest today is Mikey Steinbach, founder of Femtech Futures, a Hong Kong-based VC that is investing and supporting a range of businesses involved in women's well-being and tech. We talked about the similarities between fintech and femtech, what she's doing in Web3, and the challenges as well as the opportunities of femtech in Asia. Mikey Steinbach, welcome to Digfinvox. Hi, good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm great, and I'm I'm great because I've got you on my show. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so we I think we're gonna have a super interesting conversation over the next uh roughly half hour, Mikey. So uh, your background is is impressive. Uh, in you know, from, coming from a, a fintech perspective, you were doing digital work for Commonwealth Bank, uh, and then you were running Visa for Hong Kong and Macau. Um, so then you've moved on. Uh, you're also uh, one of the the key people on the uh, the fintech association creation of of that in Hong Kong. Um, so I'm following in your footsteps there. Uh, but now you're running your own thing uh, called Femtech Futures. And we're going to talk about what that means, what's happening in this space, how that fits in with fintech and Web3. So my basic understanding of femtech as a term uh, emerged only about, uh, I think, 2016. It's attributed to uh, another entrepreneur. Uh, She was uh, making the equivalent of like, I guess, a fitness tracker, but for menstruation rather than for like heart rate or something. Um, Correct. And that's, that that kind of kicked it off. So, um, you you tell me uh, what's happened to the concept of of femtech uh, in the in in the past let, let's call it seven years. Yeah. So I got thank you, Jane, for that. I got involved, kind of introduced to femtech um, when I was actually working in the fintech association. Um, when I started to realize that there were actually a lot of women active in the technology space, but that weren't necessarily being very vocal about their presence. Um, And when I started, when I created the the Women in Tech group, uh, I found that there were all different uh, women working in technology in different areas, like health tech, fashion tech. And then when we started to to talk about what that actually meant, uh, Mm -hmm. particularly the women in in the health tech uh, we're, we're talking about some really interesting concepts of how we could actually democratize the well-being of women and basically um, meet their unmet needs, needs by digitizing, let's say, the customer experience in healthcare. Um, and I thought that was super interesting. Obviously, a lot of the original health tech space was very much focused on, on everybody. Um, and if you look at femtech, really the US and Europe have been running ahead of the pack. And I would say Asia has been catching up over the last, uh, over the last few years. And we can talk about that later, why that is. Um, but uh, it is really um, now a concept to uh, describe technology that helps democratize the overall well-being of women. And that can basically be their physical well-being, their mental well-being, and their sexual well-being. To a certain extent, you can also say their financial well-being. 
you'd use the term democratization uh, for this. We, we've heard this in, in fintech. It's a constant yep. buzzword. Uh, what does it mean in the context for women's technology or women's well-being? Well, it's basically giving uh, women um, equal access uh, to healthcare. So I think in Hong Kong and in Singapore, we are very lucky that we have very good access to healthcare, whether mm. it's cheap through the public sector or whether it's more premium in the private sector. But if you look at areas like India or the Philippines or Indonesia, which are firstly much bigger and much widespread and much more rural, actually using technology very similar to fintech actually, um, where you were reaching, you're looking to reach the unbanked communities in, in, in Femtech, you're actually to use this technology, you're looking to use this technology to focus on the underserved um, uh, women that are in the healthcare space. So think about, for example, in India, um, if, if you need a mammogram in India, firstly, a mammogram machine, which is basically for breast cancer screening, just for people that don't know, but it's a $400,000 machine and you can't just put it in the back of your truck. So there is a femtech in, in India that has recognized that you could use thermal imaging and a handheld gun to screen for breast cancer. So you can basically build a small booth, ask the women to undress, you scan with the thermal gun, you create a digital file, and hence, you know, women have been screened for breast cancer. So it really helps uh, get better access uh, to healthcare for, for more women that was previously not accessible to them. At Femtech Futures, you're serving at least in part as a, an investor, right? Yes, absolutely. So how does this compare to traditional, let's call it seed level venture capital? I assume we're, we're talking seed or maybe series A. I don't know what where we're at in terms of the size of these opportunities. Yeah, so I think what is interesting, as I mentioned earlier, so only about 14% of all the femtech companies today are, are coming out of Asia. So it's, uh, it's still very underdeveloped. However, um, there is research that shows that by 2026, Asia will be the largest region in, in terms of growth for women's health apps. So there is a lot of upside potential. Uh, so a lot of the companies that have set up have only been set up in the last two, three, maybe four years. There is a big difference, I would say, between the B2B kind of com consumer facing and the kind of B2B space where there is a lot of kind of deep tech and, and deep medical research involved, like cancer research, for example. Um, it is uh, the, the sector is very underinvested. Um, women's health is still considered a niche um, area, even though, you know, more than half of the population right. these days are women. Um, quite, but, quite a big quite, niche. <laughs> exactly, quite a big niche, but but I also understand, right? So mm. a lot of the topics here um, are not uh, topics we talk about in our daily lives. Um, I guess, you know, uh, you're from a Western country. I'm originally from a Western country. It's a little bit easier. There is still a lot of stigma and taboo around women's health in a lot of countries in Asia hush hush when you talk about menstruation or menopause or even you know fertility problems so i think what i'm trying to do is start up the conversation bring a lot of these issues from the unconscious to the conscious and try and create more awareness about these amazing companies that are out there that are really doing some great jobs 
and it's very similar to what I was doing in fintech, also trying to connect them with the industry because that's actually really amazing to see that where when we started when the fintech started, I think a lot of the establishment was like, hmm, you know, are they going to disrupt us? What are they going to do? And we literally went from competition to co-opetition to collaboration, right? I think everybody now sees the benefit of collaborating with the fintechs and using the best of both worlds to kind of create a better customer outcome and solution. I think when you look at the healthcare sector, you really have the establishment and then you have this new up and coming kind of um, uh, technology for women. Um, there has There is not a common path, I would say, for these two parties to find each other yet. Um, and, and that's why I find it so interesting to use my experience in fintechs to say, how can I use that to bring that path, uh, to bring these companies on their path to meeting corporates, but also helping corporates in the industry to kind of connect with these fintechs to eventually create a better customer experience. And that could be either, either be in the workplace or it can really be in the B2C space. What's the corporate uh, landscape? How would you define that? What, what are these organizations? Well, I think there's a bit of both. So on the one hand, you have the pharmaceutical industry that might be very focused on a vertical around birth control and are looking for horizontal expansion. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or you might be looking at um, uh, corporates that are looking to introduce a women's well-being program for their employees, for example, because Femtech caters for both. Actually, there are different there are different companies working on different solutions for for different consumers. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean by corporates. I want to delve into this B two B versus B two C opportunity. Um, on the one hand, they both have the pros and cons, I guess, which is true of anything. Uh, on the, I would imagine uh, that in the B2B world, you're dealing with perhaps more solid technologies, um, something that might be more of a differentiator, but um, but a very slow process of getting that uh, either a pharma or a hospital clinic group or something to, to onboard that. The B2C part, obviously there's, uh, you know, India alone has, uh, you know, let's call it Six or seven hundred million women, um, but but how do you how do you reach them, right? Um, you know, there's no one app to that everybody follows, nope. uh, and and people already have. There's already lots of health tech, insure tech, uh, lifestyle apps, uh, whether it's a yeah. super app or it's just everybody trying to do their own thing. So with with these, you know, how do you, you know? So that that addressable market as a as a VC, right? That addressable market yeah. that growth. How, you know, how are you placing your bets? How are you thinking about these problems? Yeah, so I think what is interesting is in the B2B space, what you're seeing a lot is a subscription model. So basically a corporate subscribes to a well-being program or to a, a period care product, um, which is, um, which is, yeah, purely like like any other app is, is a subscription-based model. model, a SaaS model. Yes, yeah, sorry, I was looking for the right word. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think in the um, what we're seeing in the B2C space, it, you're right. So there's a lot of kind of global apps that are available uh, for your mental well-being. But because um, some of these problems are also related kind of to how governments are approaching it. So take I give you an idea. There's a really interesting app 
uh, in the in the UK, which is called PEBI, which is basically for employee well-being, and it's a one-stop shop where you can ask all questions, both men and women, by the way. Um, but it is heavily kind of it's only available in the UK because it is also heavily driven by government policy around you know maternity leave or paternity leave and menopause conversations uh, that are happening. So, so it just I can't ever scale out of that because it's so no. policy specific. Exactly. So what is interesting is a lot of corporates would look for like an intra-regional solution, like a one-size-fits-all, but that's very difficult to customize because of the, the local nuances. And I think particularly in Asia, also because of the cultural nuances, it's really going to take a while before we get there. So what you're seeing is localized solutions. Um, uh, but interestingly enough, there you also see, so, you know, there might be companies in Singapore that provide subscriptions for birth control and for um, STI, so for trans, sexual transmissible diseases or UTI um, that are done online. Um, and they have actually, they are now creating a reach into, for example, India and Indonesia um, because people are fine, the women are finding that they can't find these solutions in countries. So they're actually going online into Singapore for some of those solutions. So I think slowly but surely, um, um, people are, there is a real need to come mm -hmm. up with a, a regional solution. And, and I think the providers, the femtech companies are becoming smarter and looking how they can expand into those different markets. But it is a little bit of a localized approach for now, unfortunately, still. How do you create awareness around these B2B solutions that are strictly focused around women's health or well-being issues, as opposed to an investor or a corporate that will say, oh, well, I've got this overall health solution and this would just be one part of it and you yeah. end up getting lost in the mix or or is that or is that actually the way to go you platform off of a more general population thing and and you are just a, a widget perhaps but you're at least you're there and you've got that distribution well firstly you know me i think it's really important that this is not about kind of singling out uh, uh women's health is kind of you know the most important place in the workplace i, I mean there is definitely um a, a dialogue that is needed uh, that in, that includes both men and women in this uh space but the reality is that 66% of all healthcare problems relate to women and men have a much smaller percentage. So the reality is that a lot more women bring their health issues into the workspace. That's number one. Number two, also following COVID, um, it has become quite apparent that employees are actually expecting uh, their employers to kind of take care of their well-being, right? So it started with masks and sanitizers and uh, and some gym equipment, uh, maybe at home or some home office. But I think that has now become a bit of usance where employees are looking at how can my employer support me on my well-being journey. And, and, and honestly, there is data that is now being created through all these programs, which shows, particularly around mental well-being, that there is a big, big demand from employees for these kind of services and also for employers a real real need to focus on this um, but what is interesting is you can't do a one-size-fits-all so i think all these programs the ones that are going to be really successful going forward are the ones that can actually um, you know commoditize kind of the back end but personalize the front end which again is very similar to what was happening in fintech right so, yeah uh, so, what, so it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, that, that's a great explanation, Mike. I want to maybe bring it back to fintech, if you don't mind, just get a sense yes. of 
uh, you know, obviously, uh, there's a financial side, an insurance side, a savings and investment side. Um, yeah. There have been attempts in the fintech world at sort of women-focused investment products, for example. Um, yeah. I think uh, a very mixed record on those. Um, what are some of the, we've talked about some of the takeaways from fintech, but you know, to what extent does femtech embed itself into fintech solutions? Are you seeing any movement along that, along that line? So I think what is, so firstly, you know, we talk a lot about kind of the femme economy, right? So women are half of the population. Um, they are becoming older and older and to a certain extent also richer because women are entrepreneurs in their own rights, but they might also inherit money from their partners. Um, so they, they are becoming wealthier and, and they really want to grow old kind of gracefully. So they have money in their pocket to kind of spend. Mm -hmm. um, so um, keeping, keeping that in mind, I think from a financial services perspective, this is still a really interesting target market. Um, whether those solutions should be tailored only towards women, but I think financial education and some of the work that Sophia is doing, you know, making sure that financial literacy in general goes up for women, I think is very, uh, very important. What we are seeing, though, uh, particularly as it pertains also to the um, health tech space, is a lot of the, the treatment there is still exclusive, might not be covered by insurance. So what I'm now seeing is actually the, the, the fintechs now being embedded in the femtech to actually create an all-in solution. So basically, you get and a solution for fertility, but you also get financing for that, for example. Okay, so you've got the consumer so facing, think... you're the consumer facing or the, the client facing service correct. and people are trying to embed themselves into you and data share and all that. Yes, correct. So, and I think uh, the data share that you mentioned is very, very important because um, I've also realized that a lot of um, uh, uh, corporates or consumers, they also need they, they want data now to track their progress, right? Whether it's with your Fitbit or on your own well-being and fitness track but also as an employer to keep track of your well-being. So connecting the two and 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 making that traceable, I think is is really interesting to see. In the fintech world, particularly in Hong Kong these days, uh, Web3 is a big topic, probably not in the US or Europe, um, but we're seeing, uh, because the regulators are really pushing it, we're seeing a lot of activity here um, and uh, it, it can stretch the range from, um, you know, regulated licensed virtual asset exchanges to yep. stable coins to the potential of central bank digital currencies and, and all through that. So, uh, but let's just say the concept of, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the idea of Web3 is kind of similar to what you're trying to do, I guess. Um, I, I don't know if it actually works in practice, but the idea that, you know, people have some sort of sovereignty over their, their data uh, and that uh, when they deal with internet companies of the future, you have both a value exchange as well as information exchange that's running on whether it's blockchain or some some other kind of rail, uh, and um, and you've got this idea that there's some level of of individual sovereignty over over your information rather than giving it all to some giant um, uh, San Francisco company. So yes. um, uh, where do where do you fit in with this? And do you see this as something that you are you know are you investing in any companies that are sort of in this? Web three kind of uh, you know yeah. fuzzy uh, fuzzy mandate. 
So I think a few things. So I think a digital identity for uh, healthcare is super important. So uh, one of the, I was recently in the US where I attended, uh, actually was on a panel for um, a kind of sexuality in Web3. And one of the discussion points that we had was, you know, your physical persona is going forward going to be almost similar in Web3 because these days there's a, a lot of suits, these uh, these um, uh, these suits that the gamers wear so that when you get uh, kind of the hit skin. or shot. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. yeah I forgot, uh, not the skin, uh, the, I forgot the name, but actually you can feel the pain. You get stabbed, you feel, you, you feel the pain, for example. Oh, okay, not a skin no. on, online. No, 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 not actual, an avatar. physical thing that you're wearing. Exactly, a physical thing so that you can, um, so when you're in a game, whether you're shot or you're stabbed, you actually feel that to a certain extent. Well, that also means that, you know, I could potentially physically um, harass you in Web3. Um, and there is no guidance, no rules as to what that means for the physical body actually in Web3 going forward. When we are now thinking as a digital persona, but what if you can actually feel and touch uh, and experience everything you you experience in the physical world, but also in Web3. So really interesting um, companies and startups that are working in this space. And I think a very necessary conversation that needs to happen about how do we, how do we treat that and how do we think about that? So I think that's one side. I think the other side is also how you can protect your property. So again, I think a lot of the conversation that is happening in Web3 is maybe on, on gaming or, or on, on securities, but this is really about people's physical assets. So people that may be sex workers that have images that they want to kind of control uh, in a way, some really interesting startups working in that space. But even closer to home in Hong Kong, uh, I'm invested in a company that's called Breathtronics. So basically they do well-being in Web3 uh, and they have just launched, they already had an app, but they've just launched a token uh, and an app which you connect to unlock uh, more modules uh, to kind of help with your well-being uh, through breathing uh, techniques. Uh, so super interesting kind of new ways of, of looking at well-being in Web3. And I'm yeah. super excited to see what comes out of that. Gamification has been a topic in fintech. Um, I think it's sort of got a bit of a bad reputation because it turned into basically just casino-like mechanics. Uh, but is gamification also part of, uh, of a femtech movement? Yes, thank you, because I forgot to mention that. Yes, absolutely. So I think particularly for educational purposes, so you are now seeing, for example, um, uh, a menstrual period care startup that has created a whole experience in Web3 for teenagers to kind of gamify themselves through uh, this workshop, which previously might have been done in school, very, you know, one-dimensional and is now kind of multi-dimensional in Web3. So I think the gamification for education purposes, particularly in health tech, could be very, very interesting. And particularly when you do this around taboo topics, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you gamify it and make it accessible for everybody, that could be really interesting. What is the... So that leads me, I guess, the last question here, or last topic, Mikey, which is uh, we are both in Asia. Uh, the, um, the mores here vary from one place to the next. Uh, some cultures here are quite conservative. Of course, I'm from the United States. I mean, you know, I, we could talk about uh, abortion bans being passed in many of the southern states. So this is not unique to Asia. But um, but certainly here we do have uh, 
Some countries are majority Muslim. Uh, they might yep. have their own take on this. Uh, other yep. countries like China are not only inherently quite, you know, traditional and, and I'd say male dominated in their, their outlook, but also they're dealing with fertility problems. And perhaps they they have a different view about what kind of, of women's care or women's education is important to them uh, compared to somebody from the West. So what are you finding in terms of, uh, you, you know, what is the same, what is different? And, and you know, do you find yourself having to push up against or get pushed back against um you know, maybe just one or two anecdotes in terms of how you're navigating these different cultures. Yeah, so I think uh, just coming back to the analogy of fintech, I think when fintech started, there was a lot of pushback just because it's something different. Mm -hmm. So I feel that that um, similar with femtech, there is still a bit of pushback around should we actually um, put put women put health in general, you know, on a technology platform or a technology play. And you're absolutely right. Culturally, there are a lot of differences. So yes, there are Muslim countries, but equally you have countries like the Philippines that are very um, religious as well and um, are very, uh, you know, focused on, um, uh, you know, not, contraception uh, is an issue. So I am, I'm finding actually a whole, what I'm finding particularly interesting is that a lot of the younger women I talk to, they really want to, encourage change and they really want to encourage collaboration in this space so they're very grateful um to me they come to me either online uh or they come uh, to me face to face to say you know we're we're very happy and super excited that you're tackling some of these problems because we really really want to see that change because we come particularly younger women come from a, a generations where their parents might never have spoken about their well-being wouldn't have spoken about things like like sexual topics sexual wellness they are now becoming parents or thinking about coming parents and they just want to create a better experience. So overall, I'm finding the response from the women I interact with very, very positive. Um, I'm, I'm not finding a lot of pushback. It's just, you know, this is an area which, you know, you, you can't be an elephant in a porcelain cabinet. You, do, you need to take it step by step. So I'm trying to be quite gentle in the way I approach this and, and not be confrontational, but really be collaborative and really show on the one hand, the commercial opportunity to the VCs and for the people that are in the business to say, hey, this is really good for your business, but really for the, for the users and for the, the governments to show this could actually be a really good, um, opportunity because economies that focus on uh, focus on women are actually thriving. So yeah, make it an opportunity instead of a challenge. I think that's a great place to end our conversation, Mikey. Thank you so much for joining me on Digifin Vox. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Good luck. <laughs>